the importance of strength. Strength impacts performance, right? And so her story is one that she got this freak accident, and because she was performing at less than 100% strength, she missed out on her dream or her goal. And I think we intuitively know that, right? Like strength impacts performance. What I don't think we often think about is the reality that strength impacts our walk with God. This idea that it takes strength for you and I to follow Jesus. And if you've been with us the last uh, four weeks, we've been jumping into this series, The Greatest Thing, and we've been looking at what's called the Shema, Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 and 5, and also how Jesus uses the Shema in answering this kind of age-old question as to what is the greatest command. And as we've been in this series, you've seen, look, it's about loving the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind. And then here we are this week wrapping it up, talking about what does it look like to love God with all of your strength? What kinds of things cross your mind when you read that passage, either in Deuteronomy or Math 22 or Luke 10 or today Mark 12, when Jesus says, look, love the Lord your God with all of your strength. What kind of mental pictures run across your mind? And what I'd like to do with our time this evening is I'd like to define what does it mean to love God with strength? Let's define that term. Let's look at an example of what it might look like to love God with all of your strength. Let's talk about how strength is involved in our witness. And then finally, and maybe most profound for all of us in this room, what do we do when the reality is we're loving God with half of our strength? When you and I are pursuing the Lord with partial strength, with half our strength, with little strength, why do we do that, and what's the solution? Okay, so that's what I'd like to dig into tonight with our time. If you would stand with me to honor the Word of God, I would like to read our text for this evening is going to be Mark chapter 12, and I'm going to read verses 28. I'm going to shorten it a little bit. We're just going to read through 31. So Mark writes this. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, talking about the section above, the Sadducees, he asked him, of all the commands, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Let me pray for us. Father, we are wrapping up a a four-week series here, and we've already heard a lot said and spoken on this idea of loving you with all that we are. But Father, we recognize that tonight you want to do something unique. Father, that you are here, that your spirit resides with us, and that there's something that you would like to do in each one of our minds and our hearts. And so, Father, our collective prayer together is that we would open our minds and our hearts to you, and as we look into your revelatory word, that we would allow your truth to lay bare before us, that we would lay bare before your truth 
that we would allow the Holy Spirit in and access and space to the ways that you want to encourage us, to the ways that you would like to challenge us, to the ways, Father, that you want to expand our understanding of how great you are and how good you are and how much you love us. And Father, would you teach us what it might look like to grow a little bit today in loving you with more and more strength. And to that end, God, would you have your will and your way in our lives and in our hearts in these moments. In your name we pray, amen. Go ahead and be seated. So I'd like to start off Jesus as this teacher of the law, as this scribe. It would have been a, an office, a vocation for him And he was coming and asking a very common question. We've talked about this the last several weeks, but it would have been very common that people would have come up to Jesus as a known, a trusted, and authoritative rabbi, and they would have asked him his interpretation of the law and saying, hey, if you were to surmise the whole thing down to the one commandment that matters, what would it be? And that's what this scribe does. It says, Jesus, what is the one commandment that matters? What is most important? And Jesus, as we know, is not a surprise to us anymore. He goes back to the Shema and he quotes Deuteronomy 6, uh, verse 4 and 5. He says, the most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Verse 30, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Now, I'd like to stop there for a moment, and even though we're really familiar with this Shema statement, and we know that the Jews prayed it in the morning and the evening, and it was part of their their creed in the ancient uh, Judaism, it would have been saying, hey, Yahweh is our God, and Yahweh is the one true only God, as we have a bunch of, um, you know, polytheists in our Uh, you know, right around us in our neighbors and in the, the lands in which we live. We are monotheistic. We believe in one God, and we believe he's revealed in his word, Yahweh. He's the Lord. And so they would have had this Shema. And Jesus comes to it and says, look, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And I want you to see that there's this direction of the Shema, that the direction of which it starts and ends is important because it starts with the heart. It says, love the Lord your God within. The heart is the seat of emotion and will and desire and thought. He says, from within, love God with all that you are. And then expands out. We spent the next two weeks talking about loving God with our mind, which I think was, was added because he's in a Judeo-Christian, or excuse me, a... Um, Roman Greco background, and so this idea of your heart, the seat and will of emotion would include thought, and so you get this idea of loving God with your mind, and then you also have loving God with your soul, that Pastor Hunter did a great job last week talking about this idea of our soul, our nephesh, this idea that it, it's, it's the immaterial and yet the material part of us. It's, it's physical and yet spiritual. It had this idea of loving God with our soul, of loving God with our whole body and our whole encompassed reality that we are an embodied soul. So the Shema starts and says, love God from within and then love God with your mind and soul, which is saying, allow all of your body be encompassed and be aimed at the direction of loving God. And then he ends with this idea of love God with your strength, which is this idea of it not only starts within you and it encompasses all of who you are as an embodied soul, but that it actually pours out from you 
this idea of loving God with your strength, you begin to, to see the direction where he's saying, look, with all that you are and everything that you're going to do, love God. And so that's the direction of the Shema. And when we think about, okay, so what does it mean to love God with our strength? You and I immediately go to, I think, physical strength, right? We start thinking about getting in the gym, bench pressing, deadlifts, like, you know, if you're crazy, you're into CrossFit, and you run around with weights strapped to every part of your body and call it a workout. So when you and I hear, love God with your strength, we immediately go to physical strength, and that's part of it. But what's the Shema's doing is saying, look, it starts within, it's to encompass your whole life, and then it's to push outside from you into activity and action into the world. So to love God with your strength means activity and action that would come from the heart and all of your physical body that you would be engaged in loving God. And so what does that look like? I think very simply, to love God with our strength. Here's some examples. We love God with our mouths. Ephesians 4.29 says, Let not any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs. I would argue that would include what you type on whatever your social media platform of choice is. See, that's an activity, that's an action. It starts from within saying, I love God, and I will press into that activity because I love God from within. It encompasses my whole life, and now it presses out into the activity and action of my life. We also love God with our hands, don't we? The things that we do, the things that we create, the things that we make. See, what's really interesting is how all of this is connected together. I can stand up here and say, love God with all of your strength, and it's activity and action, and it is. But the truth is, your hands make what your heart is passionate about, right? Don't you do and get involved in things that you are passionate about? And if you're not passionate about them, you don't do them. So if you're part of a team and you're not into winning the game, you don't practice very hard. See, the things that we're passionate about, we do. But here's the interesting point. It doesn't matter if you're passionate about it. If you're passionate about something, you're only going to maintain that passion if you believe in it. If you believe that it is worth your time and energy, it's, it's a worthy cause. And so you begin to see how it's all interlinked, that the hands follow your heart, that your heart can't stay motivated unless your mind backs up what your heart is passionate about, what you believe in. And so you have this truth that this loving God with our strength is to move out from us. Love God with our mouths. We love God with our hands. We love God also with perseverance. You see this in Galatians 6, 9. He says, hey, life is difficult, and I know it's difficult, but don't give up doing good because at the proper time, you will reap a harvest. It's a promise saying, in God's timing, if you continue to do good, if you continue to lean your whole life and your whole activity toward loving God, you might not see fruit now in your current circumstances, but the promise is, at some point in God's economy, fruit is going to be born, and that is going to bring glory to God and joy to you. 
So perseverance is part of that idea of what does it look like to love God with strength? It's activity and action. It's our mouth. It's the things we do with our bodies and our hands. It's perseverance. But here's the really interesting thing about the biblical call to love God with all of your strength. Yes, it includes physical strength. Yes, it includes action and activity. The words we say, the things that we do, the activity of our lives and our perseverance. But the biblical idea of loving God with your strength is actually bigger and broader than those things. Those things are part of it, but there's this bigger picture that Jesus is going after when he quotes the Shema and says, look, it's about loving God with all of your strength. We have to dig into the Hebrew word that's buried there in Deuteronomy 6.5. You know, last week, as I mentioned earlier, Pastor Hunter kind of brought you into this Hebrew term, nefesh. You remember that? The Hebrew term for soul? Well, here is our Hebrew lesson for today. Our Hebrew word, say it with me, is me'od. Meh. One more time. I know you got masks on, but we got to be small and mighty. Me'od. Me'od. Okay, there's the Hebrew term. So when you go back into the Deuteronomy 6.5 and it says, love God with all of your strength, it uses this term me'od. And here's why this is significant. Me'od is an adverb. Anybody remember their seventh grade grammar? Don't worry, I didn't. I had to look it up. But an adverb is a word that comes along and intensifies other words. See, there's another Hebrew term that the author could have used to say strength or might, but they chose in this unique moment to use the word me'od, which gets translated strength, but it's actually bigger and broader than that. It means very or much. And it's used to intensify other words. So let me give you some examples. Look with me in Genesis chapter 1, verse 31. God has created, you remember the formula out of Genesis 1 when God creates? He creates and he says it was good. Day two, he creates. Day three, he creates and says it was good. Day four, it was good. Day five, it was good. Then we get this summary statement after God has done creating everything, the heavens and the earth. In Genesis 1, 31, it says, God saw all that he had made and it was very meod good. It was very good. It wasn't just good, it was intensely good. Look with me in Genesis chapter 4. The story of Cain and Abel. The Lord looked with favor at Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. Verse 5. So Cain was very angry. Cain was meod angry, and his face was downcast. And so it wasn't just, you know, Cain is a little ticked off. He's a little pissed. His brother's, you know, offering was pleasing to the Lord, and his wasn't. No, he was meod angry. And where did that take him? If you know the story, it led him to kill his own brother. You begin to see the intensity of which this word meod lends itself to other terms. Look with me in Genesis, I believe, chapter 30, as we look at the life of Jacob. It says, in the same way, the man, Jacob, grew exceedingly. Now, what's happening there is just like we would in English where we'd say, he was very, very wealthy. Like some people are wealthy. Other people are very wealthy. And then there's like the uber wealthy that we might say. They're very, very wealthy. Well, the the translators decided to say, okay, we're going to use the word exceedingly to go after this idea of me'od, me'od. Very, very. It's this idea of, man, Jacob was wealthy. So that's the meaning of me'od. Now, why does that all matter? 
Because it's not just about, okay, go love God with your physical strength or go love God with your activity. What he's saying there in the command to love God with all of your strength is to take everything that you are and everything that you have and intensify it, intensely go after loving Yahweh with all that you are and all that you have. That's what he's getting at when he's saying love God with with your me'od, with all of your strength. And it's not only an idea that intensifies, it's an idea that also talks about breadth and scope. That's the idea of the, the muchness there, of this idea of me'od, meaning very or much. It's interesting, when they translate the, the Hebrew in Deuteronomy into Greek, it's called the Septuagint. And in the Septuagint, they use the, use the word didymus, power, to translate this term. Because it's all the things and activities and actions of your life. But in Aramaic, when they translate it, they use the term for wealth. Because again, they recognize that loving God with your strength, loving God with your me'od, is more than just physical strength. It's more than just all of who you are and what you can accomplish and what you can do. It's also all the things that you own and have. It's your capacities, your abilities, your opportunities with the time that you have. It's the resources that you have, the home that you have, the apartment you live in, the dorm room that you dwell in. It's the great car that you drive. It's the junker car that you drive. It's your iPhone. It's your iPad. It's your clothing. It's everything. His point is, loving God with your strength is saying, love God with your everything. Love God with all that you are and all that you have at your disposal. Intensify your love in your heart and in your mind and in your soul for the living God, Yahweh. That's what it means to love God with all of your strength. Now, what's interesting is there's one spot in Scripture that you see the same language of the Shema being talked about of somebody who is successfully loving God with all of their strength. It's King Josiah. It comes out of 2 Kings chapter 22 and 23. And I want to direct our attention there just for a moment so that we might get a feel for what does it look like? What is an example of loving God with all of your me'od, all of your strength? And here's the, the biblical example King Josiah, it says in chapter 23, verse 25, says, Neither before nor after Josiah was there a king like him who turned to the Lord as he did, with all his heart and with all his soul and with all his strength, all his moed, it's the same term, me'od, sorry, in accordance with the law of Moses. So what does it look like? You have to dig into the story, and for sake of time, let me summarize it for you. Josiah is zealous for the Lord. He reveres the Lord. He's in the middle of kind of a temple project, in the middle of his his idea of glorifying the temple. They find the book of the law, the first five books of the Old Testament. And Hilkiah, the high priest, brings it to King Josiah, and Josiah has a secretary read it to him, and he just weeps and, and tears his garments as an indication of just his contriteness and his confession, because he realizes, my grandfather didn't obey this, my father didn't obey this, we're not obeying this now. And so he goes and he inquires of Huldah, who is a prophetess, 
And he's asking this prophet, what are we supposed to do? Now, I want to back up for a moment and say, okay, anytime you get a woman who's a prophet in the Old Testament, you better stand up and take notice. There's five women that are described in the Old Testament as prophets. And it's this great picture of God in a very uh, highly patriarchal society that, that these women that God is using and rising up and have important, significant ministry that God has and wants to accomplish in and through them. And so Huldah, they inquire of her as to, okay, what are we supposed to do here? And he gives, she gives uh, King Josiah a message and says, look, because you have humbled yourself, in verse 19, it says, because your heart was responsive and you humbled yourself before the Lord, he has heard you. And so Josiah, when this is, he rends his garments, he calls all of Jerusalem and Judah with him into and around the temple, and they read the law together, and they make a covenant to say, this is Yahweh, this is his word, we are going to follow him, and we're going to follow his commands. And then it, after he makes that commitment, you see this activity, this loving God with your strength come to fruition the first thing that he does is that he uh, goes and cleanses the temple of all of the false idol worship that his grandfather and father were a part of. And then he goes even into the land and starts tearing down Asherah poles and altars to Molech where people were sacrificing their children. And it's basically like him giving a picture in the Old Testament of saying, as for me and my leadership and the community that I lead as the king, we will worship Yahweh with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And so what does it look like then to be called as somebody who's loving God with all of their strength? I, I want to highlight real quickly four things that I see come out of the life of Josiah. That he esteemed God. That he valued and honored and revered the Lord. That he humbled himself before the Lord. See, I think this is really significant. I think this is the greatest step of spiritual growth. When you and I have tender, responsive hearts... When the Holy Spirit comes speaking, when Scripture speaks and calls us to a different way of life or a different way of doing things or to go and in faith do something, a heart of response is where maturity begins. And you see that in Josiah. A commitment. He committed himself to the Lord and to the word. You see that in 23.3 as they make this covenant to follow the Lord. And then finally, he uses all of his abilities and resources to love God. As I mentioned earlier, he cleanses the temple. He cleanses the land. His love for God that started internally, that engulfed all of him, led out to outward action and activity that was honoring to God. It's a picture of loving God with your me'od all of your strength. So, let's return back to Jesus and his use of this Shema and getting to, okay, let's love God with all of our strength. And then what's interesting, look with me in verse 31. He says, the second is this, to love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Now, what's interesting is the scribe has come to him and said, teacher, what is the greatest commandment? Singular. And Jesus says, okay, here's the answer. I'm going to give you the Shema, 
love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Now, if I'm listening to that as a scribe, I'm going like, whoa, time out. I asked for one. You gave me two. I didn't ask for a twofer. I didn't want two commands. I wanted you to boil it down to one. But I think Jesus obviously is intentional with this idea that these commands are wedded together. That there's no way to truly love God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength and to ignore your neighbor. Right? It's what James and John both say of, hey, living faith, active faith, will move out of your body into activity and action. Call it works, call it deeds, call it activity. But if you truly love God with all that you are, it will find its way out from just your life and what's happening with you. And Jesus, in this command, weds these two things together and says, look, if you want to love God, you've got to love your neighbor, which makes sense because he is the creator And how do you love the creator if you don't love his creation? I mean, he gave a picture of this in the Ten Commandments. Remember that? With Moses on Mount Sinai? The first four commandments are love Yahweh and here's how to do it. And the next six are here's how to love these messy, crazy, kooky humans that you're going to live with and call neighbors. That's not easy to do, is it? It's not easy to love others, particularly in the moment of history where we find ourselves, to love our neighbors. But that's the call that that Jesus gives us. He says it's about loving him and loving our neighbor. And when Jesus tells this story in Luke 10, he connects it to this um, parable of the Good Samaritan. And it's this picture that the Jews were stuck saying, yeah, I'll love my neighbor, but I'm going to define my neighbor as those that I like and those that are good Jews and those that are like me and those that think like me. And he tells this story to say, no, 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 actually, your neighbor is the person who you think is your greatest enemy. To love me is to love even those you might think as an enemy. Which means in our divided context of culture, I mean, just take the different lawn signs that we have that say, I stand over here on these issues, and my lawn sign says, I stand over here on these issues, and we stay divided from each other, and we're afraid to engage. It doesn't mean we have to all agree on the same thing, but there's this reality that every person who walks the face of this planet bears the image of the living God. And as such, is worthy of value and attention and relationship. And we want to love them. Now, what I said at the four o'clock was, I think we missed an opportunity. Like in our zealousness of, hey, coastline, we're a new church. And we talked about this thing called a Frank list and your friends and your relatives and people you're connected to at work. And we want to love on them. And we we had this big message of almost like, hey, we want to love our neighbor and we want to invite them into church. And as I thought about that more, I thought, you know what? Yeah, we want to have them come to Coastline. We want them in this church. But the goal, the aim in loving our neighbor is not to get them into church. Our goal in loving our neighbor is to love them in Christ the way that we have been loved. See, our goal in loving our neighbor is to make our loving God visible. That's what the goal is. That's what the aim is. The aim is not, hey, come to church. 
See, we don't want coastline. We don't want to worship coastline and say, hey, coastline's great. We want to say Christ is great. I guarantee you that if we go out and love the people that we are connected to in the way that Christ loved us and not worry about are they going to come to church or not, but we just love them as Christ has loved us, I guarantee you that is the best way for God to work in their life, to have an opportunity to get them to some church in the South Bay or somewhere. But the aim in loving our neighbor is that we would love them in a way that we've been loved by Christ that we would make our loving God visible. And that's why Jesus will not disconnect these two commands. To love God means that we love our neighbor. Now let me wrap up with this. There's this Shema that's called the all command because he says love God with all four different times. And sometimes we hear that and we kind of get deflated. You come into church, you hear me speak on it, and you think, oh, man, love God with all. I don't know where I'm at. I'm at like 20%, right? Like, how do I get to all? It's not so much a command to like, hey, get to the finish line, because you never finish. It's really a call to grow. It's a call to say, love God today more than you did yesterday, and grow in your love for God tomorrow. But if you and I look at our lives and we're honest for a moment, we realize that our love for God, heart, soul, mind, and strength is often part. It's often half, right? None of us would probably say, I am loving God with every fiber of my heart and every part of my body and every resource that I have. It's all focused on loving God. No, no. All of us sitting here going, I don't know what percentage I'm really loving God with. Like, I don't know how to put into a percentage-wise how much I'm loving God with my me'od, all of my strength and all that I have. So what do we do when the reality is we're loving God with only half of our strength? How do we even get to that? My encouragement to all of us would be thinking about this. When you go to bed at night, right before you fall asleep, what do you think about? What's on your mind? What's the first thing that you think about when you wake up? I think those are the things that we lend our strength to. If we're over here loving God with only a portion or a part or a little bit of our strength, it's because that we have massive affections in other areas that are taking our strength. Rather it be comfort whether it be wealth, whether it be reputation or some form of all three of those, we are giving our affection, which means then part of our strength is going toward, I want these things. And if we're going to grow in loving God with our strength, it's about what Josiah did with the temple and with the land. It's about beginning to strip down to identify the other things that you and I are in love with. And inviting God into those moments and saying, God, will you begin to strip down those other things that I love? Here's a statement that rocked me this week. I was reading a a theologian, and he talked about Yahweh, the living God, the Lord, as Savior, Sovereign, and Satisfier. I think you and I know what it means that God is Savior, that through Jesus Christ, he saved us. I think we, meet, we know what it means that God is sovereign, that he is in control, that he knew us before we were created, that he knit us together in our mother's womb, 
that he has redeemed us and rescued us and that he knows us, that he is sovereign, that he knows the hairs on our head and the days that we're going to have in our life. He is sovereign and he is in control. But I think you know and I know the least amount about the idea of Yahweh being our satisfier. The idea that you and I can be satisfied in life in this relationship with the living God. And I think we wrestle and struggle with that because we're over here, like all of the false worship happening in Josiah, in, in our little temple, if you will, in our body unto the Lord, we have all these other affections that we're running toward that are getting our strength and our energy. And in, I decided that in the end of this message, instead of sending you out like, go get them! Love the Lord your God with all of your strength. Go meod everybody around you. Ready, break. And here's what would have happened. We would have gotten really excited. You would have been passionate. You would have gone after it for a day or two or three or maybe even a whole week or maybe even two weeks. Maybe you've got perseverance, so you would make it happen a month. But somewhere down the line, you'd realize I'm dog tired and it hasn't changed. Because the real problem isn't a strength with the Lord. It's a depletion of strength that's happening because you love so many other things. So instead of charging you up and saying, go love the Lord your God with all of your strength, here's what I'd like to do. I'd like to invite you into a time of reflection that we might think deeply together about what do you think about when you go to bed? What is the first thing you think about when you get up in the morning? Is it connected to loving God with all that you are? Or is it connected to something else that you're chasing and pursuing with part of your strength? And here's the real interesting part of this. You have to get to the next layer. Once you decide, yeah, I'm chasing wealth, or I'm chasing comfort, or I'm chasing something, you have to ask yourself that last, the next question, which is, what is the unmet need? Why am I pursuing this? Because once you identify the unmet need, that's where the spiritual work happens, where you invite the living God and say, I have this unmet need, and I need you to either fill it, I need you to redirect it, or I need you to walk with me as you leave it unmet. That's where the spiritual growth happens. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to invite the worship team back up. If you'll put that slide up, it's probably been up there for a minute or two as I've been talking. I have a question for you, I have an invitation for you, and then I have a prayer for you. The question is, what else are you pursuing in your strength? The deeper question in that is, what is the unmet need that you're trying to fill on your own? The invitation then is to say, okay, God, I've identified this is where I'm putting part of my strength. This is where the unmet need is. The invitation is then to take a moment and invite the God of the universe, the living God who knows you better than you know yourself, through the power of the Holy Spirit, to come in and begin to think with you about what does it look like for God to become the satisfier of that unmet need. And then the last thing is to pray and ask God as he does that work over time, God, increase my strength by tearing down the false idols that I had in my temple, that I had in my land, so that I might give you more of my attention. So Rachel, 
is going to lead us in worship. And as she does that, you're going to be invited just to take a few moments and to reflect. Where are you pursuing God with your strength? What area are you pursuing in your strength that he's not connected to? What unmet need do you need him to fill? And then pray and ask him, Lord, meet me there and begin to fill me with your strength. So I invite you to bow your head and just do some work with your heavenly father who loves you. And after a few moments, um, Rachel and Jesse will lead us in worship.